0: I was offered a job as a segment producer on a brand new reality TV show. This show, I was told, was going to document triumphant personal transformation of the most noble kind. We were going to take women who had no self-esteem, no hope, no possibility of changing their own lives on their own, and help them out. A metamorphosis was going to take place from caterpillars into butterflies. I took the job. The show was, indeed, all about transformation. I would soon learn that it was possible to completely transform bodies and faces with knives and chisels. But what I had not expected, what wasn't in my start paperwork or on any of the time cards I filled out every week, was that I would be transformed as well. Only, I wasn't going to get any prettier.
1: I am Philip Zimbardo. I am a professor of psychology at Stanford University. In
0: 1971, Dr. Philip Zimbardo began an experiment that would lead him to a theory of how normal people can transform into evil people and do evil things. It was called the Stanford Stanford Prison Prison Experiment.
1: We had designed it to go two full weeks, uh, and we ended it in six days.
0: Which was long enough for some of the participants who played prisoners to have total mental breakdowns.
1: Emotional breakdowns.
0: And long enough for some of the other participants who played guards to engage in
1: physical and verbal aggression, psychological abuse, torture,
0: And Dr. Zimbardo, the lead researcher, was also deeply affected. He lost his sense of right and wrong.
1: Knowledgeable, aware, sophisticated researcher Phil Zimbardo was transformed in five days to be a relatively inhumane prison superintendent who could see suffering and not label it as suffering.
0: And I know this firsthand, because on the set of that reality show, it happened to me. At the start of every episode, a group of experts sits around and watches animations of nearly naked, ugly women as their bodies spin 360 degrees. The experts talk in detail about what can be done to make these ugly women pretty. Nose job. The animation freezes. An arrow points to the woman's unsightly nose. Facelift. Another arrow. This time on her forehead. She needs to lose about 25 pounds. A circle highlights her thighs. Full set of dental veneers. Tummy tuck. I'm at the surgeon's office in Beverly Hills. The caterpillar comes in. She's from the Pacific Northwest. I've already filmed her background package, met her husband, heard every detail of how much she dislikes her life and herself. She's in a hospital again. And then the surgeon comes in. His hair is slick and he wears this European watch that makes this heavy clinking sound as he moves his purple pen over the caterpillar's face and body.
1: So dehumanization is one of the most central processes of evil because it allows you simply to think of other people as objects.
0: Uh, Doctor, can you explain to us what you're doing right now? I'm marking her nose, her cheeks, her brow line.
1: At some point, they cease to be human.
0: And I'm marking these areas on the body where I'll be doing liposculpture. We're going to get rid of
1: these saddlebags.
0: How do you feel right now? This is an on-the-fly interview I did with the caterpillar. Um, so excited? Could you remember to include my question in your answer, please? Oh, right, sorry. I'm so excited right now. She gets up, walks into surgery. Then we take lunch orders. California Pizza Kitchen. I get a salad. The surgeon tells me that he and his nurses are all going to eat sushi in the surgery room later, so not to worry about them. My phone rings. It's the supervising producer. Wants to know how it's going. It's fine, I tell her. The caterpillar's just going under. And then I have to get off the phone really quickly because I'm starting to gag. What is that smell? It's awful! Oh, the surgeon is using a cauterizing knife, so... As it cuts, it burns the skin and hair. It fills the whole surgery room with this sharp, revolting smell. I watch my first breast augmentation. The surgery table is completely upright, and the caterpillar is just strapped there, with her face covered by a cloth. They cut off the nipples and pry the pectoral muscles off the body. Then they stick a saline sack in there with a tube hanging off of it, then pump saline in. I can see the breast getting larger and larger as the doctor pumps. He's listening to Aerosmith. "'What do you think?' he asks the room. "'Good size.' "'You could go bigger,' one of the nurses says. The doctor reaches out and cups the breast with a gloved hand. "'Yeah,' he answers. "'We could go bigger.' Our lunch arrives, but I find it difficult to eat. No one else seems to have a problem." After the surgery, we shoot when she's wheeled out. It's evening. The doctor explains the pain pump to her. For her tummy tuck? There's a wound across her entire pubic line and a scar where her new fake belly button is. And once the drugs wear off, she's going to be in horrible pain. He presses a plastic bulb attached to a tube into her hand. She's barely conscious. She's covered in bandages. And her bandaged head kind of rolls around on her neck. When you're in pain... The doctor explains. Just squeeze the bulb. Do you understand? She kind of groans. The bulb will deliver a local anesthetic right to the wound. She groans again, but it's muffled by all the bandages. The doctor can only do the post op at six in the morning. I show up. I'm in Beverly Hills again. I have to shoot, because there's no one else to do it, so I put up a light and roll the camera. The caterpillar's face looks like nothing I've ever seen before. Her lips are enormous and purple. There's bruising under her eyes, her face is swollen, and she's unrecognizable as human.
1: We are social creatures, it's a basic need to belong, but many groups lead us astray.
0: I'm in the office, and all the producers, who are all women, are standing around talking. Everyone looks really tired. No wonder it's day 17, with no day off. One of them says, The surgeon told me that if I just shave this bump down on my nose, it would transform my whole face. Chin lipo, someone else says. See this? She pats the underside of her chin with the back of her hand. See? They're all nodding. They all understand. A PA comes in with a crate. It's a shipment of diet food, someone says. I'm starting my diet right now. The group disperses quickly, following the boxes of low-calorie, non-fat chocolate bars. An email comes in from the co-executive producer. Can someone make a weight spreadsheet? We need to track their weight every day. One of the other producers starts to generate a bi-weekly email. It's the weight chart, detailing every ounce that each caterpillar has gained or lost since the last weigh-in. The co-executive producer responds. Someone gained six ounces? Someone writes back. It's the carrots. She's eating them because she's hungry, but she's eating too many. Carrots actually have a lot of sugar. The command comes in. No more carrots.
1: A lot of evil exists not because of what we do, but because of what we don't do. This is the evil of inaction.
0: I'm on the grounds of the apartment complex, where all the caterpillars are staying. It's day 27, no day off. I'm supposed to be there for interviews, but I have to bring a camera into a room for an emergency. I start shooting. This one caterpillar, she's in horrible pain. Something's gone awry and I have to get a doctor on the phone. He did lipo on her inner thighs, and her labia has now swollen to the size of two grapefruits. The doctor finally calls back. Totally normal, he says. The swelling will go down on its own. Just give her some Vicodin. Okay, I tell him. Will do. After the surgeries, we spend a week shooting the panel of experts sitting around and talking about the before pictures of the caterpillars. Everybody points out what's wrong with them. Cellulite. Stretch marks. Saggy boobs. Circles under the eyes. Small chins. Overbites. No cheekbones. Large nostrils. Thin lips. I'm there to make sure that we're hitting everybody's story points. We forgot to talk about her loose stomach. She needs a tummy tuck, I tell them. And oh, that that one caterpillar, she, she, um, she had that big mole on her nose.
1: Cognitive dissonance is what happens when there is a discrepancy or conflict between behavior and values. We do or say something which goes against our beliefs. How do people resolve the dissonance? And what happens is behavior wins. That is, you change your attitudes, your values to fit the behavior. That's who you become.
0: On day 32, I finally have a day off. Undressed, I turn slowly around in the mirror to see a 360-degree view of myself. My mind provides the animated arrows and lines and circles highlighting everything that's wrong. Buckle pads, skin creases, tired bags under my eyes, saddlebags, inner thighs, loose arms. Who is this person staring back at me? It's a Saturday night. That's when the head of alternative programming for the network decides he has time to watch the first cut of the first episode. We head upstairs to the screening room. All the big shots are there, waiting for the biggest shot to arrive.
1: Blind obedience to authority is is critical also because all of our training as children is in fact to be blindly obedient to authority. The problem is not all authority deserves our respect.
0: He finally arrives and sits down. The lights go down, the show starts. There's slow music, a lot of violins, it's emotional, slow pace, there are a lot of long dissolves between shots, a lot of crying. It chronicles each woman's journey. The head of alternative programming for the network starts talking immediately, and I take copious notes. He hates it. It's so boring. He says. We don't do documentary, people. There needs to be something dramatic. Something something, something dramatic has to happen. Come on. It's got to be a competition, he says. Otherwise, no one's going to watch this. Oh, everyone in the room says. Oh, a competition. Right, right. It's got to be a competition. So the whole office comes in the next day, Sunday. And we start recutting the entire thing. So... It can become a competition to see who's the prettiest girl at the end, and who's going to make it to the butterfly pageant. Later that week, I'm supervising one of the editors, and I have to leave the edit bay because I feel so sick. It's like I can smell that cauterizing knife again, except this time it's not the caterpillar's flesh that we're cutting it's their very experience. I see my boss outside, and I tell her, this is just wrong. This isn't what happened. There wasn't a competition. She looks at me like like I'm crazy. We're out on the curb. It's March in Los Angeles, and it's 85 degrees. And the sunshine is like this blast furnace. Don't be so dramatic, Rebecca. Says, it's just TV. She's right. In the end, it was just a trashy, silly show that got astronomically high ratings because and only because it was such a disturbing train wreck to watch. There was something wrong with me because I couldn't deal with it. My friend who works on another show he tells me there are no victims in reality TV. Only volunteers.
1: We can rationalize and justify anything. So after the fact, we come up with good reasons why we had to do it, why it made sense to do it, and and I was I was doing actually doing a good thing.
0: It's years later, and when I talk to my old boss about it now, she remembers the show as something she did that changed women's lives for the better. We gave that woman teeth. She always says, she didn't have teeth, and we bought them for her. Despite the teeth, I can't quite share my boss's perspective.
1: And when I look back on my role in the Stanford Prison Study, to this day, I still feel guilty. I mean, you should have ended it when the second prisoner broke down.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm laughing because I have
1: a, I'm, it's a laugh recognition. That story comes from
0: Snap Judgment's own Rebecca Hertz. You are listening to Snap Judgment, and to hear more stories, visit snapjudgment.org.